0: today. Um, We are looking forward to a really fun event um, coming up on Wednesday, August 25th. So part of our commitment here in Farmington is at Homestead Church is to just love on our community, serve our community any way we can. And so one event that we are doing this year is we are doing a back-to-school carnival. So we are going to invite the community over to our building for a night. It's a Wednesday night from 530 to 8. We're going to have all kinds of fun things for the kids, bouncy houses, carnival games, prizes, all the carnival food, cotton candy, all that kind of stuff. And then the other piece of that is that we are going to have backpacks with school supplies available for anyone in our community that might need assistance in getting a backpack for back to school. So does that sound like a good way to love our community this year? Okay, so now that you're clapping, we need your help. So first of all, um, on our Homestead app or on the website, there are places that you can sign up because we're going to need a lot of volunteers to help staff all of those areas, to set up, tear down, promotion, all that kind of stuff. The second thing we need you to do is to take uh, some cards and start help, uh, helping us get the word out. So I was talking to somebody who's done a backpack drive in the past, and they said you've got to let people know that it's available early because otherwise they will go out and buy it. So this event is happening kind of right before school starts. So we want to get the word out as soon as we can. So we have posters, we have postcards. If you can share it on your social media and help us get the word out for that. So that's the second thing, help us promote it. And the third thing is for these backpacks, we are asking for donations. Now there are two ways that you can help provide a backpack. The first thing you can do is uh, we have a list that has all of the supplies for each backpack. Now, we as Homestead have bought bulk backpacks just because it was more economical. So kind of like you do the shoe boxes at Christmas, you go buy all the things that go inside and then you throw 10 bucks in there and that is one backpack. So you can do that if you're out shopping with your kids. We have lists as you leave today. We also have them on the app. So you can buy, let's say you want to buy two or three supplies extra when you're buying your kids' stuff and then throw $10 in there to cover the backpack. That's one way you can do it. Or some of you are like, where do I just write a check? You can also do that. We will gladly take your money. So you can also do that on the app. If you just simply want to pay for one backpack, we're asking for a $50 donation suggested to cover the cost of those supplies. So we'll have more information on the website, but We need all hands on deck for this, okay? So we really appreciate your support, helping get the word out, and let's start, and right now, school stuff is out, isn't it sad? But sometimes that's when you can get the best deal, so we wanted to get the word out right away so you can start grabbing some of those items when you're out, okay? All right, well, we are continuing our series in Exodus. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32 today. Um, We have been kind of going front to back through this book of the Bible, learning about this uh, story about how God delivered his people out of Egypt into the promised land. And last week, Jeff kind of talked, started us on this story of the golden calf. Um, And today I want to look a little more at the story and when the people have just blown it big time, (laughs) We're going to talk about what it looks like, how they come back, what was God's reaction to their shortcomings, what was Moses' reaction, and how do the people find their way back? How do you find your way back after a big-time mess-up? So in Exodus chapter 32, the first parts of it, Moses has gone up to the mountain, just to give you some background of the story. He's gone up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and Aaron is left in charge of the people, and the people convince him that To make an idol. So they melt down all their gold jewelry and they create this idol, this calf. And not only do they create an idol or a calf, they make it, then they start worshiping it, they start bowing down to it, they start sacrificing to it. And then it says that they indulged in pagan revelry. Now, the calf or the bull was a symbol of fertility. So it's likely that this kind of revelry included sexual activities. It was that kind of debauchery. It was that kind of idolatry. It was that kind of pagan ritual that God had told them over and over again to not have any part of. So Moses is up on the mountain just hanging out with the Lord, and God says to him, Moses... You need to get back down there because the wheels have come off with the people. And this, at this point, the Lord has had it. He's done being patient, and now he is ready to punish. Now, as a parent, have you ever done that? You that. I'm warning you. I'm warning you. I'm warning you. Did anybody else's parents count? My parents always counted. Do you his parents still count? Yeah, backwards. Ooh, Okay. That feels, more, that feels more dangerous, <laughs> like something's good. Three, two, yes. And so God has given them chance and chance and time and time again. And this is the point where he says, this is it. I've had it. This was over the line. This was to the point where he just said, at some point now but punishment is coming. And so in Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 10, this is what he says. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people, whom you brought from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf. And they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. They're crediting their freedom to this idol. Verse 9, then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. So what does Moses do in this moment? He advocates for the people. Look at verse 11. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. Oh, Lord, he said, Why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all of this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. You ever seen that before? The Lord Changed his mind. Other translations say the Lord relented. The, actually, the original Hebrew word says to sigh, like, oh, fine, <laughs> to excel, exhale deeply, to take a deep breath. It says that he changed his mind. Now, I want you to hear what my study Bible this week said. It said, in response to Moses' argument, the Lord changed his mind. Now this is not the picture of a raging tyrant who is with great difficulty finally persuaded to back down. The Lord is much more inclined to be merciful than to insist on vengeance. And he invites those who are near him, like Moses, to give him an occasion for his mercy through faithful intercession. This is a beautiful picture of the character of God ever patient looking to be kind merciful just like as a parent I'm not looking for ways to punish my kids I'm not enjoying that I guess if someone was sadistic that might be different but we're not looking we're not enjoying punishment but we know when it's our responsibility to do so so now let me ask you this question what changed God's mind What changed God's mind? He was ready to wipe them off the face of the earth, and something changed his mind. What was it? It was the response of Moses. As I studied this week, a lot of commentators brought up the idea that God was testing Moses in this moment. First, in verse 7, when God gives Moses credit for rescuing the people out of Egypt, this was a little bit of a test. He says, Moses, your people whom you brought out of Egypt. God is giving Moses the credit there, which is kind of odd. He's giving Moses the chance to make the same mistake that the people had. The people had said that golden calf that rescued us out of Egypt. And so God was saying, okay, Moses, who? who was that? Moses, you, you rescued the people out of Egypt. He started there. He was putting Moses in a situation where he had to make a very clear choice. And then God said, Moses, leave me alone so I can destroy them. Now, Moses had a decision to make in that moment to either say, yeah, let them have it, or to advocate for mercy for the people. Not only was God saying he was going to destroy the people, who, by the way, had been horrible to Moses. These people had given him the business the whole time. They had been together. They had been harsh. They had been critical. They had been ugly to him. I'm sure there were plenty of times that Moses would have been fully on board with the wiping out of all of the people. And then God added some incentive to this test by saying, I'm going to wipe them out, and then Moses, I'm going to give you everything that I had promised to them. And we see that Moses passes this test. He, first of all, fully acknowledges that God alone had brought the people out of Egypt. Verse 11 says, Moses said, "Oh Lord, why are you so angry with your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt? He made sure that God, nope, I'm not taking any credit. I know for sure it's you. And then he asks God to spare the people. He asks him to keep the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to make them into a great nation. He does not take the bait to become self-serving. He does not take the bait to say, this is my moment, to pay them back for all the ways that they've been treating me. And he doesn't take the bait to say, I could have all of this just for myself. Moses passes that test. And because of the advocacy of Moses, God changed his mind about destroying the people. So let me ask you a question. How would you have done with that test? How would you have done with that test? Would you jumped right on board with taking the credit for all the things God had done? Like, oh thank you. Someone finally noticed how hard I've been working. Or thank you. These people have been giving me such a hard time the last few years. I'm so glad that someone is finally acknowledging my amazing leadership skills. Thank you, Lord. Or would you have allowed your own hurt and frustration in how you had been treated to turn into vengeance and said, you're right, Lord. They are the worst. Those people don't listen. Those people don't do what you've asked them to do. They've been a thorn in my side. They deserve to be wiped out. Or would you have advocated for mercy? Would you have said, no, Lord, I know they deserve it, but please, please, God, have mercy. Have mercy on them. Please delay. It's good to ask ourselves what that answer to that question would be. I read an article years ago, and I couldn't find it. I tried to find it again. And it, it stuck so deep in my spirit, and it was a pastor who was talking about a judgmental spirit, and he, he got up in front of his church one day, and he started preaching this sermon about God's going to get them. And he just kind of started going off about all the sinners in the world and how they are going to get what they deserve. And God is coming after them, and they're all gonna get what they deserve, and the Bible is clear, and He just let it have it. And pretty soon, the congregation started cheering and clapping. But this pastor was also giving his congregation a test, because he stopped and he said, All right, let's back up a second. When do we ever get to rejoice at a lost soul? When do we ever rejoice? at the lostness of a soul. Where do we ever see that it's okay for us not to pray and intercede for the restoration and salvation of the world? Now, we believe the Bible is true. We believe that God asks us to be righteous and holy before him. But the reality is no matter how horrible they are, no matter how sinful or ungodly they are, and no matter how horrible and sinful and ungodly we are, God is always, always, always longing for restoration and repentance. Always. We don't get to hope for vengeance to fall on people. We don't hope for people to get it. And the reality here is that God granted the people of Israel mercy at this point, not because of their own repentance. Moses is still up on the mountain. They are still doing all the business down there. He hasn't even come down yet. It's not the people that repented in that moment. They're still bowing in front of the calf. But because of Moses' advocacy for mercy, God spares them. So what is your prayer For those who are not followers of Christ yet? Is it get them or is it have mercy? That's a really important question to ask ourselves. What are we praying for people who don't know Christ yet and are acting like it? Is it get them or is it Lord, have mercy? Give them more time. Is it it's time, Lord, or give them time to repent? 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 5 says this, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. So we see Moses advocating for mercy, and God determines not to completely wipe them out but there are consequences for their actions. When Moses comes down the mountain, first he throws the Ten Commandments down and breaks them and shatters them. Then in Exodus chapter 32, 19, it says that he burns the calf, throws the ashes in the water, and then forces the people to drink it. So that's harsh. (laughs) That's that's a new punishment. And then verse 7, it says that the Levites go and kill all of the ringleaders, and then the Lord sends a plague among the people. So they didn't get off scot-free. They had some consequences. But then the worst of the consequences comes in this. God says, okay, here's how the rest of this is going to go. I'm still going to give you the land, but I'm not going with you. That's the worst of the consequences. You still get to go, but I'm not going to go with you. He told them that he would send an angel with them to fight back their enemies, but that he himself would not go with them. His exact words in Exodus 33, 5 are, you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you, even for a moment, I would destroy you. I can't even be with you right now. You're with your kids. I can't even see you. You need to go up to your room right now. So remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. This was not God being mean. This was God enforcing the covenant that these people had made with him. Now, I want to give you a little background here. So turn back a few chapters to Exodus chapter 23. When the people had begun this journey with God, when they had left Egypt and they had begun this journey, God had laid out an agreement or a covenant with the people. Now, a covenant is when two parties make an arrangement as to how they're going to do something. Covenants were how they did everything in this time. You would make a covenant to sell land. You would make a covenant for a business deal. You would make all kinds of partnerships and arrangements. Here we see God was making a covenant with the people of Israel. He promises to do something, and then they promise to do something. They have this arrangement. Both parties in a covenant need to keep up their end of the bargain in order to keep the covenant maintained, right? If one party did not hold up their end of the deal, then the covenant is broken. So in Exodus chapter 23, starting in verse 20, this is the covenant that God made with the people of Israel when they started this whole thing. They lay it all out, and God says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a covenant. Here's what I'm going to do, and here's what you're going to do. Starting in verse 20, it says, See, I'm sending an angel before you to protect you on your journey and lead you safely to the place I've prepared for you. Pay close attention to him and obey his instructions. Do not rebel against him, for he is my representative, and he will not forgive your rebellion. But if you are careful to obey him, following all my instructions, then I will be an enemy to your enemies, and I will oppose those who oppose you. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites, so you may live there, and I will destroy them completely. But you must not worship the gods of these nations or serve them in any way or imitate their evil practices. Instead, you must utterly destroy them and smash their sacred pillars. You must serve only the Lord your God. If you do, I will bless you with food and water, and I will protect you from illness. There will be no miscarriages or infertility in your land, and I will give you long, full lives. So that was God's stipulations. Look at what the people's response was to this covenant. Exodus 24.3 says, Then Moses went down to the people repeated all of these instructions and regulations the Lord had given to them. And all the people answered with one voice, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. And you will also see that they go through the ceremony that people would normally do for covenants. So they had made this covenant with God. So what was God's responsibility? God says, I will protect you, I will lead you, I will provide food and water. I will protect you from illness, and I will give you long, full lives. That was God's side of the covenant. What was the Israelites' responsibility? Not to worship false gods. That was the covenant. Now, setting a covenant with someone was serious business, and the people had made a covenant with God, and now they were covenant breakers. They had not fulfilled their side of the covenant. So God was not being vindictive or harsh by saying, I don't even know what I'm going to do with you now. He was literally saying, you have broken the covenant with me. I'm no longer required to stick to the plan. I'm not changing my ways. I've held up my end of the deal. I've done everything I promised I would do for you. But you have broken your side of the covenant. Now, isn't that how it goes with us? We're facing something in our lives and we're like, God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you not following through? Why are you walking away from me? And yet, we are the covenant breakers. We've done our own thing, we think we know best. And if you are in broken covenant with the Lord and you're not feeling the peace God promised or the joy God promised or the provision God promised, I guarantee you God has not revoked his promises. You are out of covenant. You've broken away. So get yourself back in right relationship with God and see what happens. So the people recognize that they have broken the covenant. And so they begin mourning. They know what this means. This was very common. If one person bails on the covenant, it's, that's it. So they begin mourning. It says they begin to mourn and they take off their fine clothes. And Moses begins going to meet with God every day in the temple. And it says when Moses would walk through the camp and the people would come out and watch, he's going to talk to the Lord. And it says they would fall on their faces and wait as Moses is talking to the Lord. They're waiting to see what God is going to do. They know they've blown it. Can you picture it? Can you picture that like, oh, we have totally messed this up. What's he going to do? And Moses goes every day to talk to the Lord and then comes out, and they're just waiting. It's like when your parent would send you to your room and say, I need you to go up there and wait while I figure out your punishment. Anybody's parents do that? Just mine? Oh, wow. Am I the only one whose parents did that? Oh, <laughs> Elise just ratted you out. <laughs> she just pointed to you. <laughs> I need you. Mostly it was like, I need you to go while I think about what I'm going to do. It's that moment, that anticipation of like, what's going to happen? I mean, we totally deserve it. We have broken this. We have messed it up. The people are mourning. But Moses is meeting with the Lord, and Moses is still advocating for them. Moses asked the Lord to forgive and restore the relationship that he has with all the people. Exodus thirty three twelve 12 says this. One day Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you'll send with me. You have told me I know you by name and I look favorably on you. If it's true that you look favorably on me, let me know your way so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember this nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. (laughs) Moses is trying so hard, and the Lord is saying, I don't know yet. Then Moses says, if you don't personally go with us, you see that God has said Moses I'll go with you and Moses is still advocating and saying no Lord come with us come with us if you don't personally go with us if you don't don't make us leave this place how will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on me and your people if you don't go with us for your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people of the earth And the Lord replied, I will indeed do what you've asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name Yahweh before you, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So this is going to be the moment. God's going to reveal his plan. Is he going to restore relationship with them, or is he done? He has every right. They walked away. They broke it. Is he going to show mercy? Is he going to move on to somebody else? Or is he going to relent? Or will he simply hold to the covenant that was broken because of their rebellion? So Moses leaves, he climbs up the mountain, the people are waiting, Moses doesn't know what the answer is going to be, and says he climbed up Mount Sinai to wait for the Lord's response, and in Exodus 34, 5, we see the Lord's response. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion, and mercy. I am slow to anger. I am filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents on their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children to the third and fourth generations. And Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshiped. And he said, oh, Lord, if it's true that I found favor with you, then please travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins. Claim us as your own special possession. And verse 10, the Lord replied, listen, I am making a covenant with you. In the presence of all the people, I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. Right then, the Lord makes a new covenant with an unfaithful people. This is grace. This is mercy. This is a holy God doing everything he said he was going to do, and the people keep messing it up. And yet he says, okay, I will forgive your iniquity. I'm filled with loving kindness. I will show mercy. I will show compassion. Let's try this again. Let's start over. Let's make a new covenant. Let's do this again. This is grace, undeserved forgiveness, restoration, renewal, not because they earned it, but because the Lord is the God of compassion and mercy who is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. The Lord makes a new covenant with them. You can read through Exodus 34 and see the terms of the new covenant. But I want to highlight one more thing tonight, but this morning before we finish up. When Moses comes back down the mountain, it says that his face was glowing with the glory of the Lord. It says he was radiant, so much so that the people were afraid and he had to cover up his face because he was glowing so much. I think Moses' face was radiant because he had had an encounter with grace. He had encountered that holy God. Restoring mercy and grace on people who did not deserve it. I think Moses fully recognized the gravity of his own failings. He knew full well what the people deserved. And yet, seeing an all-powerful, holy God show compassion and mercy, it changed his entire countenance. You know when Christians get that arrogant, harsh look of judgment on their faces towards others? I think they've forgotten their encounter with grace. When we forget our encounter with grace, that hardness comes on. But when we remember what we deserved, when we recognize that the mercy of God has been lavished on us, when we know how many times we've broken that covenant and the Lord has come back and said, let's start again. Let's make a new covenant. Let's go. Let's do it again. I will show unfailing love and mercy to you. Your face will show grace. Your face will radiate with the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God. I started studying this story last summer, and I was just overwhelmed at what a beautiful story of grace this is. I never really thought much about it. You know, the people get into trouble and then it kind of seems like you all move on. I never realized how big of a moment this was that the Lord was kind of on the fence whether or not this whole thing was going to move forward. This is the heart of our God, fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who has now made a covenant with us through the blood of his son that we can be forgiven, we can be restored. You've never too far gone. We will never deserve it. And yet God continues to show grace on us. So maybe today you need to accept and just receive the mercy of Jesus, knowing that none of us deserve it. None of us deserve it. Amen? None of us deserve it. It is a free gift given to us out of the goodness of God. And maybe today you just need to say, Lord, I receive your grace. I receive your salvation. I want my life to be in covenant with you. Maybe today you need to repent of your lack of grace towards others. Maybe you would have failed that test. Maybe you've gotten to the part now where just more angry and frustrated than praying, filled with mercy. Maybe the Lord is challenging you today to pray for the lost to pray for the broken, for those who do not know Christ, that your heart would be filled with compassion toward them, towards them. Maybe you need to repent of your lack of grace towards others. You've fallen into the trap of forgetting how much grace has been extended to you. You've stopped advocating for mercy to be extended to others. You've neglected praying for those who don't know Christ. And you fail to remember that God desires for all to come to repentance and relationship with Him. And maybe today you'd say, You're a covenant breaker. You've stepped away from your relationship with God, and you're wondering why you're not seeing the fruit of relationship that's supposed to be there. I encourage you today, step back into covenant. Ask yourself, Lord, is there a place that I have not been obedient? I haven't held up my end of the deal. You asked me to do something, and I just have been disobedient. I've stepped out of covenant. I'm doing my own thing. I'm doing it my own way. Repent and get back into covenant. It's not too late. His mercies are new today. We see that God was like, all right, let's go. What's next? Let's move forward. God is ready to restore to get back into covenant relationship with you and ready to make a new start in your life. Let's bow our heads and pray today. Jesus, we thank you so much for the grace and mercy that you have extended towards us. Lord, where would we be without your love and your mercy? We could never earn it. We could never deserve it. We could never be good enough. And yet, Lord, you freely pour your grace upon us. And Father, we will never stop singing your praises because we recognize how loving and kind you have been to us. Lord, forgive us for feeling entitled. Forgive us for thinking we deserve it. We don't but out of your loving kindness, you continue to show mercy to us over and over and over again. We break the covenant with you and you you forgive, you restore, you show compassion. You bring us right back into a new relationship with you, a new covenant over and over again. So God, today, first of all, we just pray that, that anyone here today that feels like they have stepped outside of that relationship with you, God, that they would just come right back. Lord, maybe the enemy is telling them that it's too late, they're too far gone, they've done too much. I pray, Lord, that we would remember this story. That even at the worst moment, you came back and said, I forgive, I restore, I renew, and I love. Lord, I pray that we as your church would always have a heart to see others come to faith. Lord, forgive us for a judgmental spirit sometimes. Forgive us for just indifference, not praying for the lost, not thinking about the thousands of people surrounding this building that do not know you, that are walking in darkness and are stumbling and falling down and making huge mistakes and just their lives are a mess, God. And yet, sometimes we just feel anger and judgment towards them. And yet, Lord, they're walking in the dark. They cannot see. Lord, forgive us for not advocating for them, for not advocating for mercy. Lord, have mercy on them. Jesus, give them more time to repent. Send people, Lord, that they would find the truth of your word. Lord, let us be a lighthouse here in the city that people would come and find you. Lord, let our hearts always be leaning towards the lost. God, we thank you so much that you are a beautiful, loving God. We pray that we would leave this place today with our faces radiating as those who have had an encounter with grace. And that it would shine with everyone we interact with this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.